I'm excited to be here again on Killer Call Place. It's just like one of the parent, the parent podcasts for me. I got my start here with Bruce, and I'm excited to be here. My name's Bill. My, I'm, everybody calls me Wild Bill. I'm William Dayton Hall, but I, I am sort of a 43-year sentence. Excuse me, a 46-year sentence inside the worst prison in Central America, in, in the Republic of Panama. And so I've been in prison for 13 years. I was arrested in 2010. I was a, an assassin, uh, a hitman, a, a professional killer in the street. I'm here active from 2006 to 2004 various cartels, and I didn't think as well. I've been in prison since 2010, and like really, literally like the worst prison system in Central America here with the Panama. And I'm in prison in the Republic of Panama, and so I'm just thankful to be on the show. Thanks, Bruce, for having me. Oh, no problem. Uh, I know, like, this is going to be kind of a little bit of where you had wrote a piece in my uh, book that's getting ready to come out next week called Mentally Cage. So, can you uh, go into touch base on that? Sure, yeah. We talked about a guy named Stephen. You you asked me to write a a piece about what's mental health like in a third world prison and what's mental health care, excuse me, like, you know, what kind of treatment they give you and so on and so forth. So I the story, and I'll tell it again here. I wrote I wrote the story a little bit more in depth than, than what I'm going to tell today. But we had a kid, and this was in the East Public Prison, an old prison that burned down. It, it doesn't exist anymore. But this was in about 2000. I'm going to say 2014 or 2013, maybe even maybe even as late as 2015, but somewhere in those one of those years. I had this really good cell. I had I had actually bought like bribed the guards and the the guard staff to put me in this really, really good cell, really centrally located cell with just one other fellow who, you know, like was my helper. But but one of the things, the cell was like right next to the clinic, right next to the clinic. And so you're like looking right at the clinic. It was very private. It was a very private cell. And like that, we we put piled down. I mean, you can imagine it was a nice place for like the, you know, high rollers, let's say. Anyway, they brought this kid named Steven and it wasn't Esteban, his name actually, I thought that was strange that they had named him the English version of Esteban, which is Stephen. And they brought Stephen in, and he was about, he was a little less than 30 years old, I'd say he was probably 27 or something like that. He was a big kid, he was fairly, bigger than most Panamanians at least. He was very, I liked him, very, I'm like almost, like you would have thought he was an American to look at him. Um, but, and he wasn't, like, like, he didn't have Down syndrome, he wasn't, he wasn't crazy. He could live almost on his own. He could bathe himself, he could feed himself. I like things like washing clothes and something like that's a little bit probably a little bit too too much for Stephen. But Stephen wasn't he wasn't like stupid. He was slow. I don't know how else to say it. Maybe his IQ level was a little low or or maybe I don't know. I am not a doctor to say, but Stephen was slow. And he had this tendency of like waking up in the middle of the night and being afraid, screaming, like like screaming bloody murder. And so that actually in prison in the same facility and his father was a total fucking psychopath. I mean like a, a like a real a real shitty guy. I mean like I really I mean like a really difficult individual. I mean like he his father actually killed somebody in prison there one time and like cut the guy's heart out and ate it. So, I mean, this is. Uh, but Stephen had lived in the street with a caregiver, and the reason he 
I was there. I don't think that he even probably had any idea what he was doing. If you want the truth? I don't think that he was to the point where he could be held. I, I mean, I spent a great deal of time dealing with Stephen. So, what, how did Stephen's life go when he was in prison? Well, first they stuck him in like a cell with just regular gangs, uh, and he didn't do very well. He didn't do very well at all. But, but um, and he would wake up in the middle of the night screaming. Um, the the gangs are, you know, Panamanians are not culturally are not well known for their 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 compassion, and you know they put him they put him like I don't know they would treat him like like a like a joke, you know, and make sport out of him, out of picking on him, and things like that. So he didn't do very well, and then and, and like he would become violent when when they gave him a hard time and stuff. And so they would he was in one cell, and then they throw him out, and then they put him in another cell. And in those days, the cells had like 40 or 50 people in them. They were, you know, large areas, like 800 square feet areas that had like one or two people in them, you know. Mm-hmm. So it got to where nobody would accept him in the cell. Nobody would accept him anywhere, none of the prisoners. And in the Panamanian prison system, the other prisoners have to accept you or you can't go there. So they didn't know what to do with him. And I, I spoke to the head of security. He was a nice guy. It was a really, I mean, he really was a nice guy. Um, and, he, and we agreed that Stephen shouldn't be in prison. Should be in a manicomio, which is like the you know like a mental hospital. So, so, so I called. I worked in the office, and I called the fiscalia, the district attorney's office, and I asked. I said, "Hey, we got this kid here. You guys just got this kid for murder, but he's not okay, and he's not okay here. And and they don't. The cops don't know what to do with him. The the, the guards don't know what to do with him." And you know, and the and the district attorney is like, oh, what do you know, you stupid American gringo idiot? If you tell him what to do, and I'm like, no, but I mean, like the law says that he has to, you know, to be in prison, he has to be, you know, has to be understand what he did. He doesn't know what he did. He doesn't. He's not. He's not. You know, he's, he's not all there. And uh, and again, they kind of they just rebuffed it. So what the guards ended up doing was chaining him to the door of the clinic. Stephen, when he came in, like I said, he was a little off. He wasn't all there. But after, say, three months of being chained to the door, and I'll tell you some of the things that happened to Stephen while he was chained to the door. But the family doors are not very attentive. So when poor Stephen had to piss or shit, he would end up pissing and shitting there while he was chained to the door. And there was this especially fat and nasty and terrible bastard that, uh, guard named Nunez who was like a
just up in the prison. It didn't happen once. It happened like, I don't know, every day for three months. You know? And I remember every time I saw Nunez, I, I would tell him, I was like, you're a nasty, fat, fucking horrible bastard. Not because he's fat. I mean, everybody said, I'm fat. I was fat myself in the time. And not because he was overweight, but just because he's just a horrible bastard. I mean, like, there's nothing good in that man. You know? mm-hmm. But that's, that's, that's the kind of guy that Mm-hmm. And, and we were standing 
in a rancho in this in this like covered area, like a, it was like a carport one day, and they had the school in there, and Stephen was chained to the post, and we were on the other side of the room, and Stephen picked up a desk and threw the desk. I mean, like Stephen was very strong, you know. He picked up the desk and threw the desk at Tigrillo, and I tried to get Tigrillo's. I tried to get I tried to get Tigrillo's attention, but the desk just took him out. I mean, like it hit. Wow! I mean, like it was like something out of a movie, you know? Like holy shit! And everybody just died laughing, but poor Stephen was like lashing out. I mean, he's tied to the post, and we're all over there happy, and he's chained to the post, you know? Who God only knows what's in his mind, poor fellow. So, anyway, one day I'm walking by, and he does the try to bite me dog thing. You know, he does the try to bite you like a dog thing, and I I kind of stepped away, and 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 I kind of I just laughed it off, and. And somebody else said, are you going to let him do that? They shit out of him, Bill. And I said, I remember saying it. I said, I don't give a fuck what happens. But if I see the next motherfucker hit that kid, I'm going to tear his head off. And it was like a pin drop. You could hear a pin drop. I'm, a, I'm an enormous man, especially for in Panama. And, and also, Panama's most notorious villain. You know, and really, like the Republic of Panama's most notorious killer. And so, so everybody kind of showed up. And I never saw anybody else hit the kid after that. And I, but I really, I, even today, I hope one day I get to see Nunez in the street because I'll beat the shit out of that bad bastard for what he did to that kid. I mean, I, I, it's like, it's one on the list. It's on the heat on the list. Anyway, so so one day we we finally got a sympathetic district attorney who came to see one, how he was being treated, that he was sufficiently horrified of how he was being treated. And two, I asked the district attorney, because I, I was the inmate representative there to the government. That's why I had this. this wasn't, I wasn't just a normal. I had this. It was my job to, to bring complaints and, and, you know, like, and like, I mean, I was their representative, and so I, it was my job to speak to the official. He came, and I, and I asked him, I said, I want to know who in the fuck sits down with this kid and says, yeah, he's competent to stand trial. He's not been tried yet. He's still, you know, he's still in process. And so, like, are you going to are you going to his head in front of a judge and try to claim that he's competent for trial? I mean, I, I would think that the judge would laugh you out of the courtroom. I mean, you know, like, snarling like a dog, chained up. You're going to take him in front of a. I mean, how are you going to how are you going to present him to a judge as if he's normal? And so he agreed, and and they ended up taking him at last. To a you know a house or whatever a, a, an asylum manicomio uh, 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 manicomio is like an is like an ugly word for like I just said like probably offensive crazy house is probably an offensive term uh, an asylum for you know a place where you get mental therapy and I don't even know that it's much better to be honest with you I, I would think that that would probably be a terrifying place as well in the Republic of Panama but it's got to be better than being chained to a post at least they give him some medicine or something because I think the kid wasn't that far off. When he came in to the Panamanian prison, he wasn't that far out of whack. Um, but when he left, he left like a freaking animal, you know, like a real dog. And, but I, I tell you something, I don't think that they would have taken the kid out had it not. And I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm not a nice guy. But I'm saying I don't think that they would have. I fought for that kid. Cause I don't know. It just seems like it's so wrong. So mental health care in Panama, this has been an example. I mean, to say that there isn't any at all. Uh, like, you know, there's no psychiatrist. I, I've, I've been in prison for 13 years, and I've never been evaluated. I mean, they have a psychologist that comes and evaluates you, and this is how 
do it. You sit down, and they say this. This is what they say. Every single time they say the same thing. They draw a man. They draw a person. They say, draw a person. So you're supposed to draw, like, you got to be careful. you got to draw, like, a happy man. Because if you don't draw a happy man, I don't know, for some reason, you're not okay. And then they ask you to draw a tree, and I always draw a Christmas tree. I don't know, because I like Christmas. And I draw a Christmas tree with Christmas, and they ask you about it. Who is this man? Well, he's a family man. And you say, why is he happy? He's happy because he has a family, and he's not stuck in prison. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then I said, well, what's this? Hey, what's this? And I said, well, it's a, it's a Christmas tree. I said, well, why did you draw a Christmas tree? I said, you told me to draw a fucking tree. I don't know. I drew a Christmas tree. And uh, so, so, I mean, like, that's what they do. That's uh, that, And then like, it lasts like three minutes. I'm serious. And then they ask you a question. Um, the, the question I always ask is, do you feel like you're a leader or a follower? You better not say you're a leader because then, then you're a narcissist or something. Uh, you know, then you're you're difficult. Now, you always have to say, "No, I'm a follower. I follow." You know, bullshit. And uh, anyway, so like, I mean, like, I, the reason I know the answer to these questions is because I've had to take the fucking test so many times that you know you can't be honest with. It. I mean, if, you, if you're honest with them, they won't understand you. Like, if you say, "Well, I'm fucking in prison. I'm very unhappy because I'm fucking in prison. It's just not normal here, and I want to go home." Oh, fuck your old screw up, you know, you, you, should, you should be just as happy as you can be getting your Panamanian rehabilitation. I mean, like, there's really, like, no health care here at all. And so, like, there's no, there's no, even a hell of a lot of actual health care. There's mental health care, well, not even a hell of a lot of actual mental health care. And so, yeah, I, I wrote a piece about this in your book that's coming up, a chapter in your book that's coming up, it's going to be out soon. And I think that everybody will enjoy this a little bit more in depth than what I've told here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Like uh, that project, um, I can't wait to finally get it out. Like, took me a little bit longer, which I did get some pretty good feedback. And like you said, you submitted a story. I think yours is uh, the second one that's in there. So I'm hoping to have it done by ne- by next Friday, the 14th. Like I'm going over it again, which I've only got like 35 pages I think left to go over. So I'm pretty well ahead of schedule. So. I know it'll definitely be out well, next good. week for sure. I, and I know about publishing. I know about publishing. I published one book the year before last. And no, yeah, a year before last, at Christmas, two Christmases ago, I published a book called Long Live the King Wild And then I'm trying to publish one right now called Concentration Camp 2000, which is about the Panamanian prison system. It's actually, it's really long. If you want to choose the editing process and getting it just right, I mean, if you want to get just right, it's, it's, it's actually longer. It should, might have been out, it should have been out at the end of March, um, but, but it's looking more like June, if you want the truth, but when I'll have it actually published. Just because, I don't know, for me, it's an expensive process only because I, I'm in prison and I can't do my own editing. I'm not, I don't feel like, I don't feel competent. I feel like I'm a really good writer, actually, but I don't feel very competent at something. Mm. And, and like Amazon, if you're going to self-publish, they, it's so... You got you got you got so many parameters. I, I just wouldn't be able to do it, you know. And so I, I pay this outfit called uh, I can't even know what's called now. I pay this guy to do it for me, and so it takes a little time. But yeah, it's a it's a good setup. And I was really hoping to get Concentration Camp 2000 published uh, by an actual, you know, like a publishing company. But it's so difficult as a prisoner to to get him to talk to. You. Like I, some of someone's don't apply to me. First of all. Funny because I don't write about any of my own crimes. I would never. I, don't, I think that would be just terribly disrespectful 
Mm-hmm. Even on the shows that I do, I don't do shows much about like things that I actually do. I do it about my life in prison and you know the life of Hitman, how that was. But but some of them wouldn't apply to me for that reason. But second, it really doesn't apply because I'm not even in the United States. I'm in Panama. But when you're talking to publishing houses, they're like, "Oh no, you're in prison, my shit." You know, so it's it's really difficult to publish to get to actually get really published. So that's one thing. Yeah, I've got think, a lot of projects going on right now, and I'd like to talk about a couple of them if you don't mind, Bruce. Right. Yeah, going back to the publishing thing, there's quite a few. Like, I know of, uh, I actually just published a book for somebody I've spoken with for two years, but, like, this is his first one, so he's excited, and there's some other ones I've seen to get published, but, yeah, most of them go the self-published route. One guy I saw, he done... Uh, I think he was paying like a few hundred dollars to go, but I think it wasn't a well-known publishing company, but you paid them like five, six hundred dollars minimum. And I think that's uh-huh. how he got his book exactly. published. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. So, but, but anyway, it's, it'll get out. It'll get out. It'll get out. I think I should have it out. Uh, and by, by the end of June, June, it should be up to July earlier, maybe a little earlier if I get it done. Okay, yeah, I'll definitely yeah, buy it. Projects going on now, you guys. Uh, if you're out there and and you're you're listening to this, and you want to talk to me? You can come and find me on, on Facebook at Friends of Bill. It's on it's a Facebook group. Uh, I'm also a lot of times like, you'll see me publish in Bruce's Facebook group as well. Killer's Crawl Killer Killer's Crawl Space Facebook uh, uh, group as well. And then and then you can find me on Instagram at Holiness Bill. I wrote a book called Long Live the King Wild Bill which is about my my first year in prison, my experiences of going being a first world guy in a third world prison. I mean, and also my misadventures dealing with Panama justice. And so, and it's fairly interesting. And some of the realizations of, of how I realized how many lives I destroyed, including my own and the, the lives of my family, or, you know, there's a lot of reflection in that book as well. So you can pick that up on Amazon. It's on Amazon, Long Live the King Wild Bill. Um, I'm also doing this really cool project right now, uh, talking about all the murders that I've seen in prison. I mean, like, I'm in prison, right? In the third world. They're fucking walking around here with guns inside prison, man. I mean, like, the, 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 the prisoners here have firearms, you know, contraband firearms inside of prison. I'm talking to you on a contraband telephone. So, I mean, you know, I mean, shit, the rules are pretty lax here, so to speak. And so there's a lot of violence in the prison here. A lot of violence, gang violence specifically, and and there have been so many strange and brutal murders in my time that I did this. I did this week week of murder in prison. I've got a YouTube channel called Life Inside Hell, Life Inside Hell, and that uh, will be coming out Monday. Uh, by the time this is out, it'll already by the time this airs, I'm sure. By the time Bruce's podcast airs, it'll already already be out, so you guys can go check that out. But one other thing, I mean, like. If you're going to spend much time in prison here, you're going to see a lot of brutal murders, you know. And uh, actually, the most brutal murder of all time, the most brutal, uh, the most violent day in the history of the Republic of Panama, which is a tiny country with three million people. They somebody else, somebody else just made a goal here in the soccer game, so you can hear the boys are all excited. Um, but one of the most brutal things that I ever saw, like really the most brutal thing I have ever heard of or saw inside a prison, was when. Fifteen people were murdered at Christmas time in 2019 here in the prison. I mean, they, they had a gun battle inside a gang split. One of the big gangs in Panama split, 
and um, and it just it was just a, a madhouse of, of, of like gun play for about six hours before the cops took control of the prison. So I, 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 we talk about that also. So if, if those four things are interesting to you, you might swing over to uh, after you listen to Bruce's podcast. You might swing over to YouTube and check me out at In Life Inside Hell, and I'll. I'll send Bruce these links, and maybe he'll be so good as to post some of the links in his description. Oh, yeah, I will do. Are you there? Yeah, yeah, I'll definitely post them in the uh, description, though. Good, good, good. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Well, um, here in prison, I don't know, uh, we've got a few minutes to talk a little bit more. I was thinking about some of the things that are happening here. We've got a lot of searches recently. Uh, A guy escaped, a Colombian guy escaped. They caught him. They actually caught him and brought him back. And uh, like a couple of weeks ago, um, and and when they have things like that happen, it makes the cops look bad. When they caught it, well, the cops look bad. They come in with the goon squad. I call them the goon squad. It's a group. It's a group. It's a group that is just based on they just come and search. That's all they do. That's what their job is. But they they're like they're like like two or three hundred men cops come in and just smash up all your shit. You know, and uh, it's a really difficult. Situation here, there isn't like any rights or anything like you have in a real prison, you know, in the first world somewhere. You don't have any rights at all here. So, um, like, also one of my one of my experiences recently, they murdered a police officer here. Actually, in uh, I think it was the thirtieth of December of last year, just that right there. And on the thirty first, they came down on us like a hammer because of that. Uh, like it was again another gang battle inside prison here, and in the crossfire. Just you know, lucky shots. They uh, a guy I actually know named Bobadon. Uh, that was the like his nickname. Um, shot and killed a police officer. That's that's the first time I've ever seen that happen in 13 years in prison. I've never heard of them even never even heard of them killing a, a, a corrections officer here. And and, and they did. And what? And, and they're police officers. They're not really corrections. I mean, that, that doesn't even exist here. Fuck a correctional officer doesn't exist. Well, 
I've had that happen here before. For instance, for instance, a man murdered another man in here, and everybody was angry with him and wanted to kill him for the murder that he committed. And so what did they do? They sent him to minimum security so that nobody would kill him. And I said to myself, my God, is that what you need to do to get out of here? i got to kill somebody to get out of here because fuck, you know? I mean, like, I'm not actually going to do that. But I mean, like, how ridiculous is that? And so the, the prison system here is very... I don't even know, man. It's like, a, it's like being in a different in the universe, man. I mean, it's really, really, very strange. Uh, especially as a first worlder. I, I understand it now. There is a certain rhyme and reason to it, actually. But it took me a long time to figure it out. I, mean, I, I just can't believe that it. it's so backward and strange. It's like being guarded by a bunch of monkeys or something. I mean, it's just really... It's like I remember my friend, the British guy was here. He was here longer than me, actually. And he just got out recently. And he said to me, he said, it's like we're in an insane asylum and the patients have taken over. And that's exactly what it's like. I mean, living here, you, you, you're talking to somebody. A lot of times I've said that in this environment, it's as if everybody that you meet is like a 12-year-old child playing their occupation. You meet a doctor, and he's like a 12-year-old child playing doctor. You meet a prison guard, he's a 12-year-old child playing prison guard. You meet a prison warden. Twelve-year-old child playing prison warden. I mean, and it's really, if you think of it like that, hmm. then you can get a handle on what it's really like, and, and not expect. Don't expect any more out of anybody than you would a twelve-year-old child, and you'll never, ever, ever be disappointed. <laughs> that's life in prison in Panama. Oh, that's that's really an uh, interesting way to put it. Yeah, it's a tough situation. I mean, like, and I think one of the hardest things here is the violence inside the prison. You know, which is like. You know, in American prison, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I say things, well, American prison, like this, I've never been in prison in America. I don't, I don't know. I'm just the only time I've ever been in jail. Um, I've been a damn long I did a good one for the first time, 46 years. But anyway, um, like here, anybody can kill anybody because there's guns in here. So you gotta be careful who you piss off because you might piss some guy off and you didn't even know you pissed him up in the morning until they shoot you. So another thing that's interesting about the is that the maximum sentence is 50 years. So if you've got a guy that has a 50-year sentence, he's just got a he's got a, a, a murder-free card because he can kill anybody he wants. He's not going to get any more time because he's already got his 50 years. Mm-hmm. And so, so, like, here's how they do that. Like, let's say that a gang leader wants to kill somebody. They want to kill one. picking a name at random. They want to kill one. What do they do? He calls in this little guy that's like a big pick of cocaine. And he says, hey, man, uh, you got a 50-year sentence. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give your family in the street $5,000. And here on the inside, I'm going to give you a lifetime supply of cocaine. You just come and get it from me whenever you need it. But I want you to go and kill one. Because I put the fucking gun. I'm going to do it. He goes and kills one, and he literally takes the gun and hands it to the police officer and says, I just killed one. And they're like, okay, thanks very much, and then that's it. I mean, they, they, they process him, try him, convicted. What the fuck is the difference? He already had a 50-year sentence. didn't change anything for him, and he, get, he doesn't even get punished. Until, like, tomorrow, he's, like, walking around like normal again. So so you got to be careful here. You got you know, it, it, it's a more of a, it's like Game of Thrones in here. you gotta, you got to be really careful what you do, and you can't just lash out anyway. You can't get pissed off. That's another thing. I mean, like, you, you piss somebody off in America's prison tomorrow, they stab you a little bit. You get a little stabbing, just a little one, you know, just mm-hmm. they, 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 
you don't, you don't ever see anybody get into a fist fight. It doesn't happen. They just kill each other. So, so that's a dangerous thing as well. Yeah, I remember uh, trying to think one of the videos you had posted. I want to say on the Facebook group, you were talking about the guns earlier, and you just like have you know you're recording outside and you just hear guns going off which like you said that's crazy because here you know you're not going to see that in a prison just gunshots going off you know throughout the day or random times during the day exactly exactly I mean, it's a normal thing for prisoners to be killing one another in the prison here and, and why does that happen and that's the question why are there guns in a Panamanian prison there are guns in a Panamanian prison because of the drug trade and because of the national police and I want to explain and then, and then we'll wrap up the show. I'll explain this and then we'll go. The, the police are, are directly, well, not the actual police, the, the, the organization of the police, but corrupt police officials, officials within the national police who are corrupt, are directly responsible for the violence on the inside of the prisons, and this is how. They confiscate a drug bug going north from Colombia, and they cross us into Panamanian waters, and they, and they, and they pick it up. It has, this is an example, it has 500 kilograms of cocaine in it, but they report 400 kilograms. And they take 100 kilograms and all the guns also that were on board. You know, the, 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 the bow guys have, you know, AK-47s and stuff that are the drugs. Well, they take those and up in the pistols and like 100 kilograms and they bring them to the, to the, the prison. And they give them to the street gangs who run the show on the inside. And they say, here, here's some drugs. Here's some guns so you can guard the drugs. We're coming back and sell all these drugs, and we'll come back in two weeks, pick up the money, and bring you more drugs. And that's how it happened. That's why there are guns in a prison. That's why there are drugs in a prison. And that's how the prisons are organized around the gangs. But it seems insane. And it's not a national policy. It's not like a national policy of the police is to sell drugs in a prison. But in reality, it's what happens simply because the corrupt officials are allowed, and there's no checks and bounces, there's no, you know, internal affairs and police investigating. I mean, they, they, they're just a corrupt bunch of cocksuckers who have us <laughs> corralled in here. I mean, like rehabilitation, there's no rehabilitation here. you got to buy your own food in a family in prison. you got to buy your own food, you got to buy your own clothes. You got, I mean, like, everything here, the government doesn't give you anything. They just stick you in here, you figure your own shit out, and that's it. I'm lucky to be who I am because most Americans and foreigners and first worlders from like Europe, Germans, English guys, they come here, they immediately get what they call sequestrado, like kidnapped. Like an American who comes into prison here and, and like the gangs would just grab a hold of him and drag him into a cell, put a knife to his throat and say, call your family and tell them to make a $20,000 deposit in this account or we're going to fucking kill you. What are you going to do? Say no? I mean, you're going to have to do it, you know? And so, so that happens a lot. To me, it's not going to happen because of who I am and, and, and my status in the prison. And I like, so I've, I've, I've been blessed in a way for that because, because like I, I said, again, here, you can be the biggest, toughest guy here. I'm, I'm the biggest, toughest guy here, one of them anyway. But what the hell good is that? Because my chest don't, re don't repel bullets, man. You know, I mean, I, I my skin's not anti bala I, my skin's not, not uh, a bulletproof that's good. Antibala is a bulletproof. My skin's not bulletproof, so so I mean, like, doesn't, doesn't matter how big and tough you are here, it's about your, about your social skills. If you got bad social skills, man, you're going to die in this place. And so, mental health 
I'm out here, brother. I really appreciate it. All right, no problem. Thank you for being on here.